from the dawn of humanity, we had brands, basically. People were brands. They were the spiritual healers. It was the tribe leader. It was the medicine person. It was the hunter. It was a, everyone had like a set of attributes that other people had thought about them, uh, right. which is kind of branding. So it's not strange that we engage and, and communicate with brands as if they were persons almost. Today, I sit down with Freddie Ost, who is the founder of Snask a branding agency. And today we'll be chatting through everything you need to brand your business, the steps that they take in order to rebrand or brand a business, as well as how to transfer, you know, words into an actual visual identity, as well as so much more. I'm Nikita from aspectagency.com and let's get into the podcast. Well, Freddie, welcome to the Scaling E-commerce podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nikita. Likewise. I know I reached out to you a few months ago on LinkedIn, mainly because I was interested in Snask and what you guys have going on over there and, and how you're building up that brand. So I guess to just start the conversation here, you know, how did you even get into branding and start running a branding agency? Because I know it's a big task. Well, I mean, I think it, the starting point for us was graphic design. So we started out being a graphic design agency. And I mean, the first three years, we didn't even invoice for brand strategy, but we always did it anyway, just in order to be able to do a, a visual identity with some meaning behind it. And then a friend of us who had another agency came and told us we were basically idiots. And he said that uh, you just have to package that in a PDF and you can invoice even more for that, for that part. And we were like, what? Yeah, and that's when we realized like three years in that, oh, okay, we've been doing strategy work without yeah, getting paid for it. So that's basically when we realized that, wait a minute, branding, uh, not only the visual identity is very interesting. And there, there's so much focus on marketing products or services. And we always been more into like marketing, like a lifestyle or a story, et cetera, telling a, a story or bring people on a journey, all these cliche words, but it's kind of true. Uh, the people, I mean, people expect products and services to be perfect today, but I mean, you 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 basically want something else. You want to, to yeah. You want to like something else about the brand, share values, etc. And I think yeah, that's basically how it came into branding. Like we liked that part of it. Yeah. Whenever I hear branding, well, I, my girlfriend is also running a branding agency, so I know you know the bat the ins and outs of what goes into it. But when it comes to branding, and when I think when most brands or when most businesses hear branding, they think very woo woo, you know, it's like, you know, we need this color palette or, you know, this Pinterest board or, or whatever. But I think it's definitely, it goes way more in depth than that. And obviously, you know, this since it's your profession, but when it comes down to branding, you don't know what looks good until you see what looks good, you know? Yeah, no, that that's for sure. Exactly. And it's like, okay, what makes liquid death, you know, very attractive or very appealing. And it's like, it's definitely the branding and the way that they position the aesthetic around what they do and everything from the branding spreads out. And I think that's the most important part. It's like the foundation of everything. Um, and a lot of people overlook that foundation. So on in your specific scenario, the business is like a little confused about what they're doing or like what, um, what they want their brand identity to be. And like, how do you help cement what the brand stands for? First, we need to map out uh, because the customer normally are not brand experts. Uh, so they kind of, everything is a mess for them, which right. is understandable. It's like me building a house. I wouldn't know where to begin and I would yeah, mix everything up. 
so first you have to find out what are you today? What do you want to be? Uh, which isn't relevant either because thirdly, what should you be for your customer? That's the only thing that matters because personal uh, like incitements or what, whatever you want the brand to be might be different to what you should be for the customer, for example. So that's one thing. The other part is uh, we often use the metaphor of a person to, to like, what do you say, like distinct uh, different parts of branding, like for example, the personality, the values, the ambition, the drive, uh, that's the brand platform and you need to have that, that's very important. Secondly, the voice, like, so what do you say and how do you say it? And after that follows uh, a translation into a visual identity, basically you choose the outfit from knowing this person, who it is and how this person speaks. You can then choose the outfit and once you have these three, you have a branding. Now you can go to market when you get people's attention, basically, with a campaign. And that's also a way to break it up. But we also break up values. So like product values, for example, or service values are, are one thing like, oh, uh, the the software should run smoothly or it shouldn't break up, etc. Yeah, that's just a product value. It can't be a brand value. Secondly, like, oh, at this company, we, we treat each other equal. Great, but no one on the street will probably ever know, realize anyway. Uh, so that's like a company value. And the brand value is what's external. The image that people will have of your brand. So I think that's the most important thing for us is to make that, like, what do you say, distinction between the, all the different parts, make it less messy. Yeah. What, what would you say when you work? Like, how does that work for you? Like, for us, we try to do the same thing. You know, we want to make sure that the message that we have internally with the brand is externally represented through like for us email and sms that's our specialty in the agency space so we try to represent those exact things in some of the emails that we send out for our clients because you know maybe some things are going on within the brand that a customer doesn't know but it makes sense to you know be transparent and the customer appreciates you way more for that because you know you're expressing who you are what the brand stands for yeah. and you know, you build that deeper customer relationship. Now, on your side, I know there's a big difference between, like you mentioned, the product value, uh, the the company values, and then the brand values. You know, how do you effectively channel the company values and the product values to have really, really good brand values? Is there an effective way of doing that? I think I like to put them aside. I want people to get them out. So I want people or the client to just write down all the values and then map them out, and then they're like, yeah. This is definitely like a product value. Right. The client will feel heard and seen. Their value goes up on the board, but it's on the product, for example. And then you do the company, and then you will end up with like maybe 10 to 20 brand values, which is way too many. But yeah. then you start moving them and, and putting some of them together, like bold and daring. Yeah, they're the same. Or we can maybe put bolding and like character. Uh, yeah, put them together, you know. So in the end, you have like five maximum brand values. And I think that's the way I like to put, to be able to move them around until you only have like five brand values. And then once we have that, we would we like to transform that into like a famous character or person that everyone knows about. Right. Just to try it out on the client. Like, does this voice or personality feel right? Uh, like, for example, loads of the Disney Pixar characters are made to be very clear characters 
So they have a set of values already that are very like almost, yeah, very Disney Pixar like. So in those cases or Marvel or for example, yeah, TV series, uh, films, they often have these like very obvious characters. So, but also like famous people like Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, or like, yeah, a lot of different uh, celebrities also have that persona, right? That they're famous for. We don't know them how, how they are behind the mask of a celebrity, but we know they're, they're like, yeah, their stage persona. And in that case, it can be easy to try it out. Like, what would you say that this, what person would have these values? And then the, the client can find it. And that way it's easier to also check it like, oh, does this feel comfortable? Uh, do we need to push it more? And if this is the character that you are as a brand, what would be your arc enemy? Uh, mm. And that means that if you know that your arc enemy is this, and sometimes you take a decision, and you're like, wait a minute, this decision means we are the total opposite of what we should be. We should definitely not do that. So you can use it in many, many different ways, even though it's so childishly simple in a way, it's kind of easy and nice to do it. I really like that idea of taking, you know, those brand values and comparing them with someone that exists in real life, because I think you give, uh, you give more life to those exact brand values. And it's like, you know, like you have the like work ethic or, you know, the drive. It's like, okay, we can pair that up with like Mike Tyson. And in that scenario, it's like, okay, how would Mike Tyson approach this specific brand? Or like, what would they do if they were in our shoes? I think it's just easier for us as people to like have something to attach to versus like living in the abstract. While living in the abstract is great for creativity, but when you tie it down with something in reality, that's when you see that real magic happen. And, and I mean, uh, it's not that strange because from the dawn of humanity, we had uh, people, we had brands, basically. People were brands without we us knowing what the word even meant at that time in time. But there were the spiritual healers, it was the tribe leader, it was the medicine person, it was the hunter, it was the, everyone had like a set of attributes that other people had thought about them, uh, right. which is kind of branding. So it's not strange that we engage and, and communicate with brands as if they were persons almost. Uh, so I mean, in, it kind of makes sense. And what you say, like, for, especially for untrained people, to to yeah to imagine that oh I'm this famous person I'm gonna write a tweet now in this voice it's so much easier than trying to remember six pillars of our voice and uh, what those values and pillars mean in different contexts and words it's way easier for a human to pretend you're another human and then try and write it yeah you don't want to overcomplicate it and I think that's what people do most is they try to mm -hmm. overcomplicate it. it's like okay I gotta be this, 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 and this. And it's like, okay, cool. I'd rather just speak like Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, go from there. Yeah. So let's say a brand has set up their brand identity or brand uh, brand values. How would you transition that next into a visual identity? Because I think that's the biggest thing is like, okay, cool. You know, we have these five principles that we want to follow as a company that we want to show externally. But how can you visualize that in a way where people can understand through like color theory or through different visuals? Basically, what we do is, we, yeah, sometimes we can start with the visual identity at the same time as we do the voice. Mm. So you're correct that when we have the brand platform, right, we can start doing both the voice as well as the visual identity. Sometimes we do the voice in between and then we do the visual identity, but we can start both at the same time. And what we do is, since it's a translation, right, of the brand strategy and the persona, 
we take a few keywords uh, that we like, for example, uh, bold is a keyword that uh, from a brand value can work visually, uh, while there's some other uh, words in, 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 in the brand platform might not be, uh, be able to use as a visual keyword, then we translate it into something else. So we like, we interpret your brand values into these visual keywords. Uh, and it can be like uh, uh, striking or uh, uh, bold or uh, can be, you know, what do you say, uh, minimalistic or sophisticated. There are lots right. of different ones. And then we go into each of these keywords and then we show them first an inverted mood board. Now, this is not what we mean if we say bold. This is the opposite of bold. And we show them lots of references, so this is not bold. Secondly, we show them two images, one on the left, which is like, we don't mean bold in this way, where everything is just crazy and, and like chaotic and colors everywhere. But when, when we say bold for you, we mean maybe two strong brand colors in a very good way. And then we go to the next keyword. And in the end, we have like a set of five keywords that we map out that becomes their basically their identity and it's a long process and, and we take the client by the hand and we kind of lead them through this experience and then right. they end up uh, where they should in the end but i want to also say something about color theory because it's something we never use and it's because when it comes to branding it's very hard to use color theory because in in arps it's one thing but when it comes to branding it doesn't really work the same way so for example Red and yellow is like warning colors by nature. Right. So uh, most people know this, right? So if you say like, oh, you chose red, but that's a warning color by nature. So yeah, but that doesn't mean it works like that in branding because people drink the cola straight from the can. Uh, yeah. They fly Virgin and Norwegian Airlines, which are red airplanes. It does people don't connect red color when it comes to branding to a warning color or uh, it means different things, like yellow in Europe means, forgive me, uh, it means death in China. Uh, oh. Blue means uh, the ocean, blue means IT uh, uh, companies, blue means the sky, but blue means also being depressed. Uh, so it's like, you can turn it into anything, or oh, it shows green, and then you, if you use color theory, you say, oh, because green, you're ecological, and you look like spring, and you look like whatever, uh, the grass, uh, then they might say, yeah, but we look envious. Right. That's, uh, mm, that's true. Or we look like uh, drugs, like cannabis. Uh-huh. Because it doesn't really apply. So in our in our world, we will never open that door because that means that the client can use the same door. If, so if we say, oh, you're green because of this, they can say, yeah, but green means envy. We don't want to look green. And then it's the same way. So we're very careful of, of using uh those kind of doors basically uh, so we don't try not to open them i guess the only thing i would say like to push back on that is there are some times and some cases where green is, or not green but color theory in general is a a boost to the branding like for example like you mentioned like if it's an ecological or a healthy um, brand they usually use greens or lights or like whites uh, light shades of gray things along those lines to present that you know, they're very happy, open, um, nurturing nature because, you know, grass is green compared to, you know, a green logo. You would think that it's, you know, one in one. Um, but like I but like you mentioned there, it's not a concrete, you know, uh, playbook. Not every time like 
like I said, like warning, you know, if you had like a red airplane, that might be a big warning. But if it's red with like a Virgin logo, then it makes sense because it's, you know, it it doesn't it doesn't fit the exact same mold of color theory, uh, like traditional, you know, paintings. No, exactly. And I mean, I think also that there's low, the whole world of vegan was very green. Yes. Uh, but then someone decided to break it and suddenly it doesn't have to be green anymore or Oatly is gray and white and, and it's a perfect brand for like oat milk, uh, but it could have might as well uh, went for green in the beginning. But so I also think it's something that we, in the beginning, maybe we had to go green with those kind of products and brands. Uh, but once everything became green, the more you got to break out where, yeah, mature. Definitely. Now, when it comes down to how you work with clients, do you specifically work on the, you know, we talked about the brand values, the visual identity, uh, maybe some of the assets like logos, colors, fonts, et cetera. Do you also work with them with package design and product design, or do you mainly just focus on here's the visual identity, here's everything that you guys want to strive for, and we'll let you handle the rest? Most of the times we do the key key assets mm-hmm. uh, because it's kind of hard. I mean, their, their in-house department, of course, have to own the identity, right? And they have to feel like they can do everything. Right. Uh, but if there are, they they often have like, yeah, packaging or uh, we need a store design or we need like a website or things like that. And they, we need that to be top level. Uh, then we can go in and do those assets. We normally do it. And then that will be part of the guide, guidelines as well, because they will be perfect examples of how the guideline, of how the visual identity guidelines should be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, uh, we go in and create like communication concepts where we basically make the brands come to life in production, in like photos, films, animations, illustrations, etc. cetera. Uh, and that's like a prolonged arm, which also goes into the visual identity guidelines afterwards. Like how do we take photography? Uh, how do we, uh, what, how does a visual world in film looks for this brand or blah, blah, blah. So, so that's, that's also like a very prolonged arm, but it builds brand during times yeah. still, still belongs to branding in a way. Definitely. And I, I do agree with you. I think it makes the most sense with an agency taking, like owning the entire visual branding side of things rather than having it be piece by piece, because you know, for example, your agency's intentions might be completely different than like a web design agency or with an email agency like us. So while you have the baseline set, you know the exact intentions that you want to take this brand to. And one thing that I noticed that a lot of brands struggle with is giving up control of their branding, their identity and all that. How do you cope with that when working with brands and or like how do you break that mold and help educate the the, the client? With like, hey, look, you hired us to be the expert, you know, let us do our thing. I think that, I mean, that's normal. Uh, and it's something that we always have to take into consideration. Uh, but uh, first thing we, we try and, and like settle uh, is that we're here to create change. Change is inevitable. Uh, it's hard. Uh, everyone wants change, but no one wants to change. And we try and like talk about that uh, loud in a room with everyone who's got all the key stakeholders. And also this like, so they understand we don't work for you. We work with you. You will always know your brand better. You will always know your customers better. You will always know like your product or service better than us. So it's key that we work together on this. Uh, so I think that's, that's like very important uh, steps in order for them to fight, to like, 
be seen and heard in it. And then also don't like drop them when like here's identity, see you never again. But to also follow up and like, let's implement this together. We can come to your like headquarters and educate you if you want, or you can do like uh, 10 fake assets, send them to us and we can feedback and tell you like what we would do differently. Uh, and that way fine tuning, like how their internal team maybe use it. Uh, we, we would like at least one from their design team to be part of the rebranding process so that they have an advocate, uh, like yeah, who voice all their problems and challenges. I mean, there, there are millions of different ways, uh, I think that you can like make that make sure that they are part of the whole journey, you know? Yeah. And I think the ongoing support and process is definitely a huge one because, you know, I think a lot of fear, a lot of brands fear the fact that, okay, cool. Once we're done, it's a one and done project. It's like, okay, cool. What if we need to do another thing here? And you know, the branding agency just like dropped the client and it's like, okay, well, we kind of need the ongoing support there. And is that also something that you provide like on an ongoing basis? And how, how does that relationship even work? It's normally easiest when we've done the whole rebrand from the strategy up until visual identity and we start doing key assets with them. Um, we've been there the whole journey for the whole change. We know why they changed and we know how they changed and then we know into what they became uh, and we're helping them becoming this thing. So in that way, it's very easy for us and for them to work very effectively because one, we know each other, we trust each other. So we have a work way of working that we worked up during during months because it's never, I would say, bump free. It will always be bumps in the road. And every bump you get over is less like a relationship. That means you will work even better in the future. And you know how to avoid them or grow, drive over them, etc. Uh, so the, and and fourth, uh, we both know the identity pretty well. So it goes very fast to communicate uh, for them to ask us things, for us to work on things. And then they can choose to set up a retainer with us, which we have with some clients. And we other clients were just there and they tell let us know, like, hey, we would like you to take a look at this and we can do that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And on the agency side itself, is there any big projects that you're working on? Not like company-wide, but like what is like the big thing that you you personally are trying to work on, you know, this quarter? Or like maybe you're trying to acquire more clients or maybe you're trying to work on the operations or systems or hiring. Can you tell me a little bit about that? We're working when we rebranded Bang and All of Sun. Uh, it hasn't been rolled out yet entirely, but we did that, which is a big project. And we, we love that and we love them. Super fun to work with them. Uh, so that's one big thing. Another thing is that uh, we're trying to fight at the same time as running along with AI and data. Uh, because AI is here to stay. AI is not going to steal jobs, but AI, if you don't choose to use AI, you will fall behind very fastly. Uh, so in that sense, it's something we are thinking a lot about because it's not problem. It's not problem free because one, it takes all the information from the internet. Secondly, it's made by the tech company, and the tech companies are made up of at least seventy-two percent men, and out of those thirty-seven-two percent men. Uh, a majority are white and yellow, for example, Asian. Yeah. So that means that very few people of diversity or other sexes are involved in creating it. So it becomes a sexistic, racist AI because it's what it, it's how it. It's not because someone wrote it like that. It's just because how it gathers information, how mm -hmm. it works. Uh, so I think that's one thing you need everyone to be involved in the all of the world 
in all classes and society and different people to be involved in AI. And, and I also think that you need to check your prompts uh, as a person using AI, like how do you use it? And then the other part data is that every, we hear all the time from clients that, oh, well, we want to do market research. We want to ask what people think, blah, blah, blah. But the most, the best products, the best services, etc., have come from visionaries uh, that trust in expertise and innovation. And, and they don't go out and ask people because we don't know what we want. We didn't know that we wanted or needed an iPhone. Yeah, we didn't uh, know that we wanted a car. We would have said we needed a faster horse, not a car, etc., etc. So, I mean, you can't trust what people say that they want because if you do that, we will become, you'll become an echo chamber where nothing new, nothing provoking uh, was ever allowed. And unless it's instantly pleases people, it's like swiping right or left or not, or sitting with, with an AI. And if the AI show you something that you don't like, it will never show you that again. Uh, and that's how it works with AI and it's fine, but that's not how art, music, literature, uh, everything has been working. It, it, it is made by someone uh, and it's, maybe it's made to provoke or create a new thought or a new angle. And I think that's very important to not use data in that way because we need vision, innovation, and trust expertise in order to create new things. I absolutely agree with you there. You know, with AI just always, you know, dominating the LinkedIn feed, every single person has like a hundred pager on prompt engineering or whatever. I definitely agree with like, if you're not utilizing AI at this point, it's like, you know, take a week, you know, get dive right in, get familiar with it. And I, I'm pretty positive, you know, every single business can get at least something out of it to like speed up their fulfillment process or their sales process, whatever it is, because like you said, it, it is here to stay. It's the people that don't grow with it are the ones that are going to be falling behind. Um, now to close this off, I did want to ask you if someone is planning on branding, you know, their startup or maybe rebranding their brand. And maybe they're not quite there to be able to afford your packages. What would the top three things they should look out for when rebranding or branding a brand new company? First advice is to find a very good freelancers because a freelancer doesn't have a project manager. It's a one person shop because so he or she doesn't have to project manage someone else. So that's a lot of hours that goes into like that you don't have to pay someone else. Same with admin, same with a big office, same with insurances, same with HR. Like there's loads of costs that you need to pay when you go to an agency that you don't have to pay when you go to a freelancer, for example. So that's one thing. Secondly, I think brand strategy is harder to get by as a freelancer uh, with freelancers. So maybe you should like make sure that, and if you don't have the budget, you don't want to sit there with a brand platform and nothing else. Uh, so I think that making an easy workshop that you can find online about what persona you want to be as a brand might be more useful than spending like a lot of money on a brand platform if you're not a big brand. Because if you're not a big company, big brand with a big budget, maybe you don't even need a guideline. Maybe you just need like a personality or a character that you can like, oh, this is us, like we talked about, uh, and then go to a visual like identity, like a designer, a freelancer and ask him or her to, can you create something out of this and create the visual identity for us? I think that would be my, my top advice is if you can't afford or an agency.
Well, I think that those are all really good suggestions, especially with working with a freelancer. I know we've, we've done that ta- tons of times in the past and it's been very fruitful. You just have to know what to look for and have, you know, have really good interview questions to begin Please. with. Um, but, you know, thanks again for coming on, Freddie. And I think I learned a ton just, you know, talking with you about branding and getting deeper into the rabbit hole of branding. Um, and I hope that, you know, everyone that was listening got a lot of value from it as well. Now, with that said, what is the best place to find you or contact you or work with you? Easiest way is our website, snask.com or our Instagram. Uh, it's just search on Snask and you'll find us. That, and that's the best, easiest way. Yeah, I will make sure to include the, the links there in the show notes so that way people can get to it easier. Sounds perfect. And thank you, Nikita, for having me on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise, Freddie, and, and have a good rest of your day. You too. Thanks again for joining us on the Scaling E-Commerce podcast. If you enjoyed it or learned something new, remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review. It really helps out with the algorithm. If you want email marketing tips delivered straight to your inbox on a weekly basis from yours truly, then check out the link below or in the show notes to subscribe and join my newsletter. If you're a D2C brand with at least 10,000 email subscribers, and interested in starting a conversation to work together, then go to aspectagency.com and we'd love to chat with you. And if you want to stay up to date with anything email and SMS, just follow me on Twitter at Nikita Vakrushev or check the show notes for the link. With that said, I'm Nikita and I'll see you in the next one.